Good morning, everybody. Great to see you in the house today, or if you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Hey, get your Bibles out, and let's jump into God's Word. That's what we do. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And by the way, if you would like to follow along, all my notes are in the sermon notes section of our new app. So if you download our new app, go to resources, click sermon notes, and you can find the whole manuscript right there and also all the ones from the past couple of series. So that's a great resource for you to draw from uh, as, as you, uh, you have that available to you throughout the week. So check it out on the app as you turn there. So, you know, since the pandemic, a lot of families have made changes, especially where they live. Right, I guess so many people were confined to their house because they were working from home, going to school from home. They thought, man, we got to have some more square footage. So people are adding on to their homes, remodeling their homes. Uh, some people are just deciding to move all together. And there are some cities in America that a lot of families are leaving and there are other cities in America where a lot of families are coming to. In fact, you may not know this, but the, a, a city in the top four in the United States is Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas in the top four fastest growing cities in America. In fact, in 2020, they doubled the number of people that came to Austin to live from the previous year. So it's just a fast, rapidly growing city and a lot of people want to live there. In fact, don't get too upset about it though. DFW is also one of the fastest growing cities. In fact, I think one poll had them ranked number seven out of the top 10. So a lot of people moving in our state, a lot of people moving into cities because instinctively the families thought, you know, this, this COVID crazy thing, maybe this gives us an opportunity to turn a new leaf, to start over, to just change some things in our family in our marriage. I think that every family goes through a season where they need some change. Would you agree with that? We all go through seasons where we need some change. In fact, I'm not going to ask you to repeat your answer out loud, but uh, what would need to change in your family? If you were to go, okay, here's one thing, man, that really needs to change, what would it be? Well, in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to Christians and he's talking about change. Remember the first two chapters have been doctrinal chapters. He's been driving home that Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior uh, to other religious systems. That's in chapter 2. Jesus is supreme in all things. He created all things, sustains all things. That's chapter 1. So he's been making the case that Jesus is greater. And then he gets to chapter 3 and he says, if Jesus is greater, then he needs to be greater in you. That needs to impact your life. And if Jesus is really supreme, and if he's preeminent, and if he's first in your life, then he's going to make some changes. There's a phrase that we like to say around here, every life Jesus touches, he changes. And that's so true. And so he's talking about the change that happens in your life when Christ really becomes preeminent and first in your life. And so we looked at, at chapter, chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 where he talked about the inner change, right? You seek the things that are above, not earthly things. Then last week we looked at our personal life, how it changes, this renewing work that God does where we take off some old habits and old ways of thinking and we put on new habits and new ways of thinking, right? We talked about that last week. And now we get to how it changes our family. That when you become a new person in Christ, your family is going to look different 
things are going uh, to change. And really, the main idea that I want to get across from you today is that only Jesus can change your family for good. Only Jesus can really make the heart changes to really make your family new and healthy and strong. So let's take a look at it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. We're just looking at a, about four verses today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. This is the Word of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Now stop right there for just a minute. You know, the first two verses here have to deal with marriage. The second two verses, 2021, 20, have to do with parenting. Now, there have been just tons of books written on both, right? Huge amount of material written, a lot of ink spilt on how to have a great marriage and how to have great parenting skills and a great relationship with your kids. And yet the Apostle Paul, when he's writing about this, he just gives us these short little verses. Not even long verses, not even chapter. Just short little pithy, staccato-like, simple, direct, clear statements. So why is Paul making it super short like this? Well, I think the reason is because he's really zeroing in on the areas in our marriage that tend to go off track. Or the areas in our parenting, in our relationship with our kids, where things begin to derail. I remember several years ago, I went to a chiropractor. Have any of you been to a chiropractor? All right. Yeah, a chiropractor. And I remember, it was one of my first times... And I was laying on my back and he was kind of working on my head, right? Kind of pushing on my jaws and all that. I was good with that. And then he kind of put his fingers around my eyebrows and then he dug his thumbs into my skull. I don't know what you're, uh, you know what I'm talking about? There's like a pressure point somewhere right around in here where if you push on that thing, I literally came jumping off the table. Like what was that, right? I mean, it was unbelievable how painful that was. I think he was just doing it for entertainment, quite honestly. He's probably getting a little bored, watch this you know but it hurt I mean just the touch it hurt now listen to me the apostle Paul is going to be touching on some pressure points this morning in your marriage uh, with your parenting with your kids right, he's going to be touching on some pressure points and you may feel it this morning but I, I want you to know that 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 is for your good right because these are the areas where God wants to bring change Right? In fact, I think if you jump off the table this morning, if you really feel it this morning, it very well may be that that's the Holy Spirit saying, this is an area that I really want to bring change in your life, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids. So let me give some ground rules before we jump into it. Ground rules, do not take notes for your spouse. All right, today, no notes for your spouse. Do not leave notes throughout the week about today's sermon like in the refrigerator, on the pillow, things like that. Don't do that, all right? You just do you. Can you agree to that? Just listen for you. Ask God to speak to you. Uh, you don't do others. Let God just deal with you. Everybody say amen. All right. So let's look at marriage first. Colossians 3, 18, 19. Look at it again. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. As is fitting to the Lord, husbands, love your wives and not be bitter toward them. Paul is speaking here about the basics of Christian marriage. The simple basics of Christian marriage. Listen, every marriage is a duet. Every marriage is a duet. 
When Liz and I were in college, we had a lot of friends that were getting married. And so we decided, uh, well, we didn't decide. They asked us to sing for their wedding. And so we sang for a lot of weddings. We did a lot. In fact, we had kind of had a little side hustle going on where, where we would sing almost every weekend and we would do weddings. We sang Endless Love endlessly in the late 80s and early 90s, man. I'm telling you, we sang that all the time. And, and it was quite entertaining many times. It was very entertaining. I remember one time we were singing. We were in the middle of our song and you could watch the groom and he's starting to sway like this. And literally he just locks up and goes straight back. He's passed out. And instinctively his hand goes out and he grabbed the veil of the bride and her head snapped back. I mean it's great entertainment folks. It is great entertainment. But the one thing I love about singing with Liz is the harmony. I mean, when you get it just right, the harmony is, is beautiful. There's a ring to it. There's a unity to it that is just compelling. And that's really what God wants in your marriage. He wants there, in this duet of your marriage, for there to be harmony and there to be beauty in it. You say, well, Craig, how do I get to harmony in my marriage? Well, that's what he's talking about here. It really, I'll, I'll tip you off. It's husbands really loving their wives. And, and, and it's a wife really coming under and respecting her husband. And that's really how that duet works. So let's look at verse 18. A wife, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. This is every wife's favorite verse. Right? They got a tattoo and the whole thing on this, this verse. Not, right? Why? Because it's got the S word in here. The word submit, right? We don't like that word. But here's the thing. Ladies, listen to me. Here's the thing. This is a beautiful word. Because the word literally means to come under. That's what it means. To come under. It means to come under the loving, the love of your husband. To come under the direction of your husband. To come under the leadership of your husband. To come under the care of your husband. To come under the protection of your husband. That, that's really what the word means. I, I picture, there have been a lot, of, a lot of rain going on over the last week. I, I picture a, a husband holding his umbrella and his wife comes under the umbrella and she's under that protective covering. That is what a wife is doing when she comes under her husband. She's under, uh, coming under all of his protection and care and provision for her. It's a beautiful thing. And, and let me just say that what it's not saying, he's not saying, ladies that or women, that that a woman is inferior. He is not saying that. The Bible does not teach that in any possible way. He's not saying that. He's not saying that the wife is just to serve her husband. In fact, the serving should go both ways, right? In Philippians 2, it says, uh, speaking of husbands and wives and all of us, that we're to consider others more important than ourselves. We're to look also to the interests of others and not to our own interests. So in a healthy marriage, there should be mutual serving going on. Mutual serving. He's not saying that the, you as a wife uh, do not have an equal voice, uh, have no say in particular things, no input, no collaboration. No, none of that. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that as a wife takes on a husband, that she is to come under the protective umbrella of his love, of his covering, of his protection, of his provision, of his leadership in her life. And that is a blessed thing. That is a good thing. 
I have two daughters and one is married and I encourage her to come under the direction and love and care of her husband because that is God's provision uh, for her. Now, this is a call uh, to love and to care for and to be cared for by uh, your husband. Listen, I, and, and sometimes this is a hard thing to do. I imagine back to the, the singing illustration. Imagine if uh, Liz and I are singing Endless Love together and all of a sudden in the middle of it she just jets off on another song. Right? She just starts singing another song. She starts singing All My Exes Live in Texas or something like that. You know? I'm like, what, what are you doing? You know, we're, we're singing this song. We're supposed to be singing this deal. You're going to do that and I'm going to do this and this is how it's going to work. And, and then it just becomes a train wreck. And that's really what happens when a, when a wife refuses to to respect and to come under and to, and to follow the lead of her husband and his protective care for her life, it's a train wreck and some of you have experienced that in your own marriage. Wives, he says, don't resist, don't fight, don't disparage, don't disrespect your husband. He's there as God's provision and care for you. Come under him. And then look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. This is a call to love. This is a call to tenderness. It's a call to patience. It's a call to kindness. It's a call to gentleness. The word love here is agape, which is a godlike love, a sacrificial love, an eternal love, a persisting love, a never-ending love. That's how you're to love your wife. A husband is not to ever be harsh with his wife or demanding or indifferent toward his wife or certainly not embittered toward her. What does that look like to love your wife like that? Well, it looks like a lot of different things. It looks like serving your wife. When you come home, it doesn't mean you plop on the couch and turn on ESPN while she does everything. It means that you come home and willingly serve her and serve the family and help the kids with the homework and clean up the living room and help get things ready you know, for the next day. It's, it's participating and partnering with her. Sometimes it means listening to her and hearing her heart and connecting with her at an emotional level. Sometimes it means pursuing her and loving her and chasing after her just like you did before you got married where there's romance and love and she feels it and she feels wanted and needed and loved and cared for. That, that's what all this means. And, and I want you to make sure you understand that there's this, this relationship between the two. When a husband is loving his wife this way, when he's caring for her and loving her and serving her and, and all these wonderful things, then it's easy for her to want to follow him, right? And want to give behind him and support him and respect him. And unfortunately, when the husband does not love his wife and when he is, is indifferent toward her or dismissive of her or disrespecting of her, then it's very easy for her to shift over and to disrespect him right back. And we see a lot of that craziness going on in our marriages. Listen, guys, your natural instinct is at some point to, to be uh, dismissive of your wife to be indifferent toward her or to be irritated at her and to push her away. And, and wife, your natural instinct is going to be to disrespect your husband, 
and disregard him. Unfortunately, that's where our flesh takes us. And so this is why so many marriages fail and so many marriages struggle because we're living in the flesh. And this is the change that Jesus makes when Jesus comes into your life and he begins to change your marriage because all of a sudden, husband, you start to love your wife. God pours out his love into your heart by his Holy Spirit, Romans 5 says. So as you're walking in fellowship with God, he is beginning to fill your heart with love for your wife. And the more you love Jesus, you should be loving your wife. And the same thing is true. The more wife you begin to love Christ and put him first and be on your knees before him and ask him to fill you with his spirit, then you'll be respecting and loving and encouraging come alongside your husband. That's the change that Jesus makes inside of us. And listen, we need God to change our hearts, right? We need more. I guess if you could put a banner on top of what God's design for marriage is, I've said this before, the word would be honor, to honor one another. Husband, you honor your wife when you love her. Wife, you honor your husband when you respect him and follow his lead and come under him. In fact, I love what Romans 12, 10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. By the way, the context of this verse is not marriage. Context of this verse is how we should treat one another in the body of Christ. So we're all called to outdo one another in showing honor, but this is probably one of the great verses about marriage. Is the way you make a marriage work is that you're choosing to honor, but listen, dishonor is incredibly corrosive and destructive. When you dishonor with your words, when you dishonor with your looks, when you dishonor with your tone, it just corrodes the relationship. And so what he says here is to honor one another. Listen, when you begin to allow Jesus to change you, your wife will know the difference. Your husband will know the difference. I was talking with a guy this week and he was telling me about something that happened with he and his wife. That they, they were talking and she was going through some really difficult things and so she was just pouring out her heart to him and she was telling them how difficult this was and he was listening to her and, and I mean she was really pouring out her heart and he made good eye contact, he listened, he was actively engaged and when she finished pouring out her heart, the, he looked at her and he said, honey, I'm so sorry that you're walking through this. And I love you so much. And he reached out and gave her a hug. And of course, she was overwhelmed with emotion and kind of in tears, she said, did you learn that in Bible study? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> because listen, guys, when you really allow Jesus to change you, your wife's gonna know it. And, and listen, wife, if, when Jesus is filling you, your husband's gonna see it. He's gonna know it. So this is what Paul is talking about here. How to have a godly marriage. So let's just stop right here and do a little reflection. How is it going in your marriage? What needs to change? Husbands, how can you love your wife better? Wife, how can you come under the direction of your husband better? What needs to change in your tone and your attitudes toward each other? Then he turns to parenting. Look at verse 20. He says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Now he's talking about the relationship between a parent and a child. And by the way, there's no pain like family pain. And when, when I talk to families, when they are cut to the quick, when they're hurt the most, it has to do with an estrangement between a parent and a child. There's nothing worse than that. 
And so here he's talking about what does that look like to have a good relationship. And he starts off with children obey your parents. Verse 20. Children obey your parents. The word child there, technai, is uh, the word for a child at home. A child under the parent's uh, direction. And what is that child to do? He's to obey um, his parent or her parents. Now why is that so important? Listen to me. If you are 18 and under, I want you to really hear this. So our first service and our last service, we have a lot of 18 and under. But if you're 18 and under, I want you to really listen to me right now to your pastor who loves you. All right? Let me tell you what God's word says. You are to obey your parents. And there's a reason for that. But you don't understand. Obey your parents. But they never let me obey your parents. Why? Here, a couple of reasons. Here, here's the first one. Because when you obey your parents, you honor God. And you honor them. You honor them. Did you know in Exodus 20 verse 12, in the Ten Commandments, that this commandment, children, honor your father and your mother, is the only, promise, only command with a promise? And that promise is that it may go well with you, right? Honor your father and your mother so it may go well with you. Now as a kid, I thought that meant they get to let you live. I thought that's what that meant, you know. It's going to go well with you. I'm not going to take you out, all right? And that may mean that, but, but I think what it really means here is that, listen, if, just play this out. If you as a child are constantly dishonoring and constantly disobeying your parents, and it's a constant struggle and fight, then you never learn to come under authority. And so you're fighting your parents today, and you're fighting your teacher tomorrow, and you're fighting your boss the next day, and you're fighting the police officer the next day, and you grow up to be an adult that can never live under authority. And that is a hard life. You go from job to job and place to place. You can't ever stay in a relationship because you never learned as a child to obey your parents. This is so important that you must learn to obey the authority that God's put over you because it will be better for you. Your life will be better if you do that. So obey your parents because you're honoring them. Another reason to obey your parents is because it pleases the Lord. Just read the rest of the verse. It says obey your, your father and your mother for this pleases the Lord. And when you do what your parents tell you to do, then that pleases God. When, they, when you say, can I go to the movies with my friends? And they say, not till your homework is done. And you go do your homework and you do it without complaining or arguing or throwing a fit. God sees that. And he's pleased with that. And you experience God's favor in that. Even in those little decisions of obedience are important to the Lord. He sees it all. He hears it all. And I think conversely, God's spirit is grieved when he sees fighting and disrespect toward your own family. But let me give you another reason why. Here, here it is. In obeying your parents, you learn to obey God. See, you learn in obeying your parents how to obey your heavenly father John 14, 21, Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love them and manifest myself to him. In other words, he's saying, if you really love me, then you're going to obey me. What God is looking for is your obedience. And listen, if you will not obey your earthly father and hear his audible voice, how in the world will you learn to obey your heavenly father and listen to the whisper of his voice? So you have to learn it now. So important. So he said, children, obey your parents. Do not make their parenting of you a grieving thing. Make it a joyful thing. Make it a joyful thing. 
And then he turns to the parent and he says this, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. That word dads there or fathers, Petraeus, could be translated parents. It's all, I think in Hebrews, it's translated that very word as parents. And so I think that this is a command not just to dads, but it's a command to moms and dads, to both parents. And he says this, do not exasperate your children. What does that mean? Don't exasperate your children. It's, the, the word there is, is rather hard to translate. It literally means to stir up. And it means to stir up anger. To stir up uh, resentment. Some people have translated it this way. Do not stir up your children. Do not agitate your children. Do not irritate your children. Do not embitter your children. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not antagonize your children. Do not aggravate your children. You get the idea? That's the idea. And I think that there are certain parents that just do this to their kids. And, and not only do they find it more conflict at home, but even as their kids get older, the conflict continues. Even as their children become adults. And even parents themselves. You say, well, what kind of parents do that? Let me give you a couple of them. Uh, here's, here's one, the controlling parent. If you have to control everything and if your, your opinion has to rule and you have to have your thumb on them and telling them what to do all the time, then that will stir up resentment toward them. The distant parent, the one who is never really fully engaged, the one that never really shows up, the one that's constantly on their phone or constantly watching TV or constantly gone or just emotionally disconnected will agitate and stir up your children. The favorites parent, why can't you be more like your older brother? Why can't you be more like your younger sister? Why can't you be more like your aunt so-and-so, your nephew so-and-so? Why can't you be more like somebody else? That they see where they are in the pecking order. It's crystal clear, they get it. Then there's a the critical parent that can never be pleased. You're not, you're not skinny enough. You're not fat enough. You're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. You're not, you're not good looking enough. You got to get this right. You got to get that right. You got to dress this way. You got to be like that. And just constantly seeing the critical instead of the positive. There's the needy parent. The needy parent is the one that is constantly trying to get their emotional needs met through their children instead of the other way around. Where the children are supposed to derive their emotional needs from their parent. This parent now is so needy that they look for their kids to give them affirmation. And many times they want to be buddies with their children instead of a parent to their children. We're, we're talking about parents that exasperate their children. Here's another one. No grace parent. The one that always remembers everything you did wrong and never forgets it. And then there is the angry parent. The parent that quickly explodes, that always has a hair trigger, that is always angry. Listen, when you do these things, you exasperate your children and you harden their heart against you and they will leave you. They don't want to be around. And it's really sad because I talk to lots of adults and what they're grieving is the relationship they have with their parents that was unhealthy. And so 
Uh, let, let me just say this. Listen, parenting is hard. Can you agree with that? Can we all agree with that? And listen, if you're, if you're under 18 and you're in the house, I'm just going to let you in a little secret. Most of the time, we as parents are just making it up as we go. All right? We don't really know what we're doing. We really don't. I mean, we think we, we're trying to do the right thing. Should I really come down hard or is this a time to go soft? Should I address this? Should I let it go? You know, do I, do I uh, overact in this thing or do I underact? We don't know. I mean, half the time we don't know. And we're doing the best that we can. And we are for you. We are not against you. Even when it seems like it. So we got to give a lot of grace to moms and dads. We need a lot of help. We need to get better at it. But here he's saying that, listen, if instead of controlling that you give, uh, you give barriers and, or, or guidelines, but then you give freedom within that, instead of being negative, you're always looking to the positive. Instead of being needy, you're, you're, you're giving your kids the emotional support that they need. Instead of being critical that you're, or, or fault finding or holding a grudge against your kids, that you're always blessing and loving them. When you do that kind of thing, then you endear honor to them and they give honor back. And even though you go through seasons when things are choppy with your kids, you know, because things are hard and we're all selfish adult, or selfish people, uh, on the back side of it, you see blessing and health in it all. So Paul is talking here about wives, husbands, children, parents. There's something in here for everybody, right? So how do we get better? What do we do from this point forward? I have a friend of mine that writes a lot of books on marriage and family and his speaks a lot across the country. And he basically said that families have a choice to make. You have to, a choice whether to drift or to decide. Now drifting is easy because drifting doesn't take much effort. Some people just drift into a relationship. They just kind of started hanging out and then everybody else kind of went their own way. So they were the only two left and they just kind of kept hanging out and they kind of drifted into cohabitation and then they got a dog and then they just kind of drifted into the, then they decided, well, I guess we should get married. We're kind of common law anyway. And then they just kind of drift into that and their just whole relationship is kind of a drift. Some marriages are just drifting. Well, this is the way we've always been. We kind of got our rut, the way we talk to each other and we're just kind of drifting. We've never done one thing to get better in our marriage in 20 years, but we're just adrift. So some people are drifting as a parent. They just are kind of making it up as they go, but they're never trying to really press in and, and figure out how to parent in each different stage of life as their kids get older. They're just adrift. And listen, drifting always takes you to a bad place, but there are times to make decisions. Some people make decisions about who they should marry before they get into a relationship, and they make decisions about the kind of person they're going to marry, and they make decisions when they get married about how to get better in their marriage, and they make decisions about how to be better as a parent. And listen, drifting and deciding takes you down two different paths. In fact, look at this graphic here. Drifting leads you into disillusionment because I'm just adrift. Now I don't feel it anymore. I did, I'm disillusioned in my marriage. I'm disillusioned as a parent. I'm disillusioned with my kids. And that eventually leads to complete disconnection. Now, we just don't talk or we divorce or we separate or whatever the case may be. But deciding, hey, I'm, I'm going to work on this and we're going to decide to get better at this and we're going to grow in this area, that always presses you to discovery. More of who that person is, your husband, your wife, your children, but also discovering how you can get better and how you can grow in every stage of life in marriage and parenting. And that always leads to greater levels of devotion and health as a family. Now listen, this same decision, 
this idea of decide or drift not only impacts your family, but it also impacts your walk with God. Some of you are drifting spiritually. I mean, maybe you don't even, you never give it off to Christ, so you're adrift there. Maybe you are a Christian, but you haven't really been growing in your faith. And so what happens is Jesus is not growing greater and greater in you, and therefore you're not seeing the change in your family. You're not seeing the change in your marriage. At the core of every marriage problem is a spiritual problem. And maybe it's because you're just drift spiritually. You're not really pressing in. You're not really growing. You're not really striving to seek the things that are above. And so maybe that's where it needs to start. What Paul is saying here in these few verses is when Jesus is greater in you, it will not only change your perspective in life, it will not only change the way you live, but it will change your marriage. Your, your wife, your children, your husband will see the difference when Christ is greater in you. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? So maybe it's time to stop drifting and start deciding. For some of you, that decision starts with your relationship with Christ. Here is the gospel. Here is the good news that when we have sinned against God and gone our own way and deserved judgment because of our sin, that God looked at us with great compassion and love and he sent Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth, born in a manger, lived a life to point us to the Father, to show us who the Father is. Then he went to a cross, and on the cross, he died for your sin and for mine. All your sin, all your waywardness, nailed to the cross when Christ was nailed to the cross, and he died as payment for your sin. He was buried, and the third day, he rose again from the dead, and now he offers new life and change to you if you place your trust and faith in him to forgive you of your sin to reconcile you to God and then ultimately to reconcile you to others that's where your family comes in so do you know Jesus is it evident in your family is it evident in your marriage that you love Jesus first that he's greater than anything greater than your job greater than your kids greater than your hobby greater than whatever that does your husband does your wife see that you love Jesus that he's first in your life and out of the overflow of your relationship with Christ that you're beginning to love them more that's where it starts so if you're here today and you say Craig I don't know that I know Jesus like that then then here's an opportunity there's a, a chance to decide, not to drift, but to decide. To say, I want to put Christ first in my life. I, I need Christ to come into my life to save me, to forgive me, to make me a new person. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith to that end. And if you say, Pastor, that's what I need. I need Christ to forgive me, to come into my life and make me new. Then everybody's head is bowed. I want you to just lift up your hand. And as you lift up your hand, I will see you. I'm not going to call you out. But let me know that God's working in your heart. And I will pray for you in that regard. So heads down, hands up. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. I want to be new again in him. I need Jesus in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Lift up your hand. All right. Thank you. Lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. Lift up your hand. All right. Several. Anybody else? Okay. Somebody else. Lift up your hand where I can see it. Okay. 
can put your hand down now. Then let me just lead you in a simple prayer. You just pray this with me right where you are. Dear Father, I know I have sinned against you. And I have gone my own way. But I believe Jesus died on a cross for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And I believe only he can save me. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please change me. Please make me a new person in you. Take out an old, hardened, sinful heart. And give me a new heart that loves you and follows you. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for loving me. Now just with your heads bowed, maybe you're a Christian here today, but some things need to change in your family. Maybe you are just reminded of what God's word says. You haven't loved your wife well. You haven't really respected your husband well. Maybe you've stirred your children to anger. Or maybe you've not obeyed your parents and respected and honored your parents as you should. They just ask God to change you in every area of your life right now. Say, Lord, change me. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your grace. Your grace that is greater than our sin. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to show us areas where we need to change, where you want to change in us. God, continue to put your finger on those pressure points, God, where, where we know that only you can change our heart. Lord, I pray for healing in marriages that are hurting. I pray for restoration in marriages that are estranged. Lord, I pray that you would bring together what Satan wants to wedge apart. And Lord, I pray that our family would see the difference in us because of you what you've done in our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.